In our last episode, Harry seemed to end up in another adventure. Um, Harry was challenged to a wizard's duel by Malfoy after Malfoy found out that Harry had made the the Quidditch team and was given a broomstick by Professor McGonagall. Um, Harry and Ron set out for this wizard's duel at night, uh, knowing that it was against the rules. Hermione was one who was reminding them that this was against the rules and that they would lose points for Gryffindor. Neville ended up joining them because he was locked out of Gryffindor and didn't want to stand there alone. The four of them ended up in Malfoy's trap. Malfoy had set them up so that they would get in trouble by Filch. However, Filch didn't catch them. Malfoy, Hermione, Ron, and Neville ended up hiding in a forbidden room where they saw a huge three-headed dog who was guarding something. What they were guarding is still unknown, but Harry is curious. headed upstairs, smothering their laughter at Malfoy's obvious rage and confusion. Well, it's true, Harry chortled as they reached the top of the marble staircase. If he hadn't stolen Neville's remembral, I wouldn't be on the team. So I suppose you think this is a reward for breaking the rules, came an angry voice from just behind them. Hermione was stomping up the stairs, looking disapprovingly at the package in Harry's hand. I thought you weren't speaking to us, said Harry. Yes, don't stop now, said Ron. It does us so much good. Hermione marched away with her nose in the air. Harry had a lot of trouble keeping his mind on his lessons that day. It kept wandering up to the dormitory where his new broomstick was lying under his bed or straying off to the Quidditch field where he'd been learning to play that night. He bolted his dinner that evening without even noticing what he was eating and then rushed upstairs with Ron to unwrap the Nimbus 2000 at last. Wow, Ron sighed as the broomstick rolled onto Harry's bedspread. Even Harry, who knew nothing about the different brooms, thought it looked wonderful, sleek and shiny with a mahogany handle, and it had a long tail of neat, straight twigs and Nimbus 2000 written in gold near the top. As seven o'clock drew nearer, Harry left the castle and set off in the dusk toward the Quidditch field. He'd never been inside the stadium before. Hundreds of seats were raised in stands around the field so that spectators were high enough to see what was going on. At either end of the field, there were three golden poles with hoops on the end. They reminded Harry of little plastic sticks muggle children blew bubbles through, except that they were 50 feet high. Too eager to fly again to wait for wood, Harry mounted his broomstick and kicked off from the ground. What a feeling. He swooped in and out of the goalposts and then sped up and down the field. The Nimbus 2000 turned wherever he wanted at its lightest touch. Hey Potter, come down. Oliver Wood had arrived. He was carrying a large wooden crate under his arm. Harry landed next to him. Very nice, said Wood, his eyes glinting. I see what Professor McGonagall meant. You really are natural. I'm going to teach you the rules this evening. 
Then you'll be joining team practice three times a week. He opened the crate. Inside were four different sized balls. Right, said Wood. Now Quidditch is easy enough to understand, even if it's not too easy to play. There are seven players on each side. Three of them are called chasers. Three chasers, Harry repeated as Wood took out the bright red ball about the size of a soccer ball. This ball's the quaffle, said Wood. The chasers throw the quaffle to each other and try to get it through one of those hoops to score a goal. Ten points every time the quaffle goes through one of the hoops. Follow me? The chasers throw the quaffle and put it through the hoops to score, Harry recited. So that's sort of like basketball on broomsticks with six hoops, isn't it? What's basketball? said Wood curiously. Never mind, said Harry quickly. Now there's another player on each side who's called the keeper. I'm the keeper for Gryffindor. I have to fly around our hoops to stop the other team from scoring. Three chasers, one keeper, said Harry, who was determined to remember all. And they play with the quaffle. Okay, got that. So what are they for? He pointed at the three balls left um, inside the box. I'll show you now, said Wood. Take this. He handed Harry a small club, a bit of a, like a short baseball bat. I'm going to show you what bludgers do, Wood said. These two are the bludgers. He showed Harry two identical balls, jet black and slightly smaller than the red quaffle. Harry noticed they seemed to be straining to escape with straps holding them inside the box. Stand back, Wood warned Harry. He bent down and freed one of the bludgers. At once, the black ball rose high in the air and then pelted straight at Harry's face. Harry swung at it with swung at it with the bat to stop it from breaking his nose and sent it zigzagging away into the air. It zoomed around their heads and then shot at Wood, who dived on top of it and managed to pin it on the ground. See? Wood panted, forcing the struggling bludger back into the crate and strapping it down safely. The bludgers rocket around, trying to knock players off their brooms. That's why you have beaters on each team. The Weasley twins are ours. It's their job to protect their side from the bludgers and try uh, and and try and knock them toward the other team. So think you've got all that? Uh, three chasers try to score with the quaffle. Uh, the keepers guard the goalposts. The beaters keep the bludgers away from their team. Harry reeled off. Very good, said Wood. Uh, have the bludgers ever killed anyone? Harry asked, hoping he sounded off. So hoping he sounded offhand. Never at Hogwarts. We've had a couple broken jaws and nothing worse than that. Now the last member of our team is the Seeker. That's you. And you don't have to worry about the Quaffle or the Bludgers. Uh, unless they crack my head open. <laughs> don't worry. The Weasleys are more than a match for the Bludgers. I mean, they're like a pair of human Bludgers themselves. Wood reached into the crate and took out the fourth and last ball. Compared to the Quaffle and the Bludgers, it was tiny about the size of a large walnut. It had a bright, it was bright gold and had a litter, little fluttering wings. This, said Wood, is the golden snitch. It's the most important ball of the lot. It's very hard to catch because it's so fast and difficult to see. 
It's the seeker's job to catch it. You've got to weave in and out of chasers, beaters, bludgers, and quaffle to get it before the other team's seeker. Because whichever seeker catches the snitch wins his team an extra 150 points. So they nearly always win. That's why the seekers get fouled so much. A game of Quidditch only ends when the snitch is caught. So it can go on for ages. I think the record is three months. They had to keep bringing on substitute players so they could get some sleep. Well, that's it. Any questions? Harry shook his head. He understood what he had to do all right. It was doing it that was going to be the problem. We won't practice with the snitch yet, said Wood carefully, shutting it back inside the crate. It's too dark. We might lose it. Let's try you out with a few of these. He pulled out a bag of ordinary golf balls out of his pocket, and a few minutes later, he and Harry went up into the air, Wood throwing the golf balls as hard as he could in every direction for Harry to catch. Harry didn't miss a single one, and Wood was delighted. After half an hour, night had nearly fallen, and they couldn't carry on. That Quidditch cup will have our name on it this year, said Wood happily as they trudged back to the castle. I wouldn't be surprised if he turned out better than Charlie Weasley, and he um, could have played for England if it hadn't gone off chasing dragons. Perhaps it was because he was now so busy, what with Quidditch practice three evenings a week on top of all his homework, but Harry could hardly believe it when he realized that he'd already been at Hogwarts for two months. The castle felt more like home than Pivot Drive ever had. His lessons, too, were becoming more and more interesting now that he had mastered the basics. On Halloween morning, they woke up to the delicious smell of baking pumpkin wafting through the corridors. Even better, Professor Flitwick announced in charms that he thought they were ready to start making objects fly, something they had been dying to try since they let him make Neville's toad zoom around the classroom. Professor Flitwick put the class into pairs to practice. Harry's partner was Seamus Finnegan, which was a relief because Neville had been trying to catch his eye. Ron, however, was to be working with Hermione Granger. It was hard to tell whether Ron or Hermione was angrier about this. She hadn't spoken to either of them since the day Harry's broomstick had arrived. Now don't forget the nice wrist movement uh, we've been practicing, squeaked Professor Flitwick, perched on top of a pile of books as usual. Swish and flick, remember, swish and flick, and saying the magic words properly is very important too. Never forget Wizard Burrufo, who said S instead of F and found himself on the floor of a buffalo on, with a buffalo on his chest. It was very difficult. Harry and Seamus swished and flicked, but the feather they were supposed to be sending skyward just lay on their desktop. Seamus got so impatient that he uh, prodded it with his wand to set fire to it. Harry had put it out with his hat. Ron, at the table next, wasn't having much more luck. Wingardium Leviosa, he shouted, waving his long arms like a windmill. You're saying it wrong, Harry heard Hermione snap. It's Wingardium Leviosa, 
Make the gar nice and long. You do it, then, if you're so clever, Ron snarled. Hermione rolled up her, uh, the sleeves of her ground, flicked her wand, and said, Wingardian Leviosa. The feather rose off the desk and hovered about four feet above their heads. Oh, well done, cried Professor Flitwick, clapping. Everyone see here, Miss Granger's done it. Ron was in a very bad mood by the end of class. It's no wonder no one can stand her, he said to Harry as they pushed their way through the crowded corridor. She's a nightmare, honestly. Someone knocked into Harry as they hurried past him. It was Hermione. Harry caught a glimpse of her face and was startled to see that she was in tears. Uh, I think she heard you. So, said Ron, but he looked a bit uncomfortable. She must have noticed she's got no friends. Hermione didn't turn up the next day um, for the next class and wasn't seen um, all afternoon. On their way down to the Great Hall for the Halloween feast, Harry and Ron overheard Pavardi Patil telling her friend Lavender that Hermione was crying in the girls' bathroom and wanted to be left alone. Ron looked still more awkward at this, but a moment later they entered the Great Hall where the Halloween decorations put Hermione out of their minds. A thousand live bats fluttered from the walls and ceiling while a thousand more swooped overhead in low black clouds, making the candles in the pumpkin stutter. The feast appeared suddenly on golden plates, as it had at the start of turn banquet. Harry had just um, Harry was just helping himself to a, a baked potato when Professor Quirrell came sprinting into the hall, his turban askew and terror on his face. Everyone stared as he reached pr- Professor Dumbledore's chair, slumped against the table, and gasped, Troll! In the dungeons! Thought you ought to know! He then sank to the floor in a dead faint. There was an uproar. It took several purple fireworks exploding from the end of Professor Dumbledore's wand to bring silence. Prefects! He rumbled. Lead your houses back to the dormitories immediately. Follow me. Stick together. First years. No need to fear the troll if you follow my orders. Stay close behind me now. Make way. First years coming through. Excuse me. I'm a prefect. How could a troll get in? Harry asked as they climbed to the stairs. Don't ask me. They're supposed to be really stupid, said Ron. Maybe Peeves let it in for a Halloween joke. They passed different groups of people, hurrying in different directions. As they jostled their way through a crowd of confused Hufflepuffs, Harry suddenly grabbed Ron's arm. I've just thought, Hermione, what about her? She doesn't know about the troll. Ron bit his lip. Oh, all right, he snapped. But Percy'd better not see us. Ducking down, they joined the Hufflepuffs, going the other way. Slipped down a deserted side corridor, and hurried off towards the girls' bathroom. They had just turned the corner when they'd heard quick footsteps behind them. Percy, hissed Ron, um, pulling Harry behind a large stone griffin. Peering around it, however, they saw not Percy, but Snape. He crossed the corridor and disappeared from view. What's he doing? Harry whispered. Why isn't he down um, in the dungeons with the rest of the teachers? Search me. 
quietly as possible, they crept along the next corridor after Snape's fading footsteps. He's heading to the third floor, Harry said, but Ron held up his hand. Can you smell something? Harry sniffed a foul stench, reached his nostrils. Um, Harry sniffed and a foul stench reached his nostrils, a mixture of old socks and the kind of public toilet no one seems to clean. And then he heard a low grunting and the shuffling uh, footfalls of gigantic feet. Ron pointed at the end of the passage to the left. Something huge was moving toward them. <clears throat> they shrank into shadows and watched as it emerged into a patch of moonlight. It was a horrible sight. Twelve feet tall, its skin with a dull granite gray and uh, its great lumpy body with uh, like boulder with its small bald head perched on top of a coconut. It had short legs, thick as tree trunks, with flat, horny feet. The smell coming from it was incredible. It was holding a huge wooden club, which dragged along the floor because its arms were so long. The troll stopped next to the doorway and peered inside. It waggled its long ears, making up its tiny mind, then slouched slowly into the room. The key's in the lock, Harry muttered. We can lock it in. Good idea, said Ron nervously. They edged toward the open lock, mouths dry, praying the troll wasn't about to come out of it. With one great leap, Harry managed to grab the key, slam the door, and lock it. Yes! Flushed with victory, they started to run back um, up the passage. But as they reached the corner, they heard something that made their hearts stop. A high, petrified scream. And it was coming from the chamber they'd just chained up. Oh no, said Ron, pale as the bloody baron. It's the girl's bathroom, Harry gasped. Hermione, they said together. It was the last thing they wanted to do, but what choice did they have? Wheeling around, they sprinted back to the door and turned the key, fumbling in their panic. Harry pulled the door open and and they ran inside. Hermione Granger was shrinking against the wall opposite, looking as if she was about to faint. The troll was advancing on her, knocking the sinks off the walls as it went. Confuse it, Harry said desperately to Ron, and seizing a tap, he threw it as hard as he could against the wall. The troll stopped a few feet from Hermione. It lumbered around, blinking stupidly to see what had made the noise. Its mean little eyes saw Harry. It hesitated and then made for him instead, lifting a club as it went. Oi, pea brain, yelled Ron from the other side of the chamber, and he threw a metal pipe at it. <coughs> the troll didn't even seem to notice, the pipe hitting its shoulder, but he heard the yell and paused again, turning its ugly snout toward Ron instead, giving Harry time to run around it. Come on, run, run, Harry yelled at Hermione, trying to pull her toward the door, but she couldn't move. She was still flat against the wall, her mouth open with terror. The shouting and the echoes seemed to be driving the troll berserk. It roared again and started toward Ron, who was nearest and had no way to escape. Harry then did something that was both very brave and very stupid. 
he took a great running jump and managed to fasten his arms around the troll's neck from behind. The troll couldn't feel Harry hanging there, but even a troll will notice if you stick a long bit of wood up its nose. And Harry's wand had still been in his hand when he jumped. It had gone straight up one of the troll's nostrils. Howling with pain, the troll twisted and flailed its club with Harry clinging on for dear life. Any second, the troll was going to rip him off um, or catch him a terrible blow with the club. Hermione had sunk to the floor in fright. Ron pulled out his own wand, not knowing what he was going to do. Um, He heard himself cry the first spell that came to his head. Wingardian Leviosa! The club flew suddenly out of the troll's hand, rose high, high up into the air, turned slowly over, and dropped with a sinking, uh, sickening crack onto the owner's head. The troll swayed onto, on the spot and then fell flat on its face with a thud that made the whole room tremble. Harry got to his feet. He was shaking and out of breath. Ron was standing there with his wand still raised, staring at what he had just done. It was Hermione who spoke first. Is it dead? I don't think so, said Harry. I think it's just been knocked out. He bent down and pulled his wand out of the troll's nose. It was covered in what looked like lumpy gray glue. <clears throat> oh, troll boogers. He wiped it on the troll's trousers. A sudden slamming and loud footsteps made the three of them look up. They hadn't realized what a racket they had been making, but of course, someone downstairs must have heard the crashes in the troll's roars. A moment later, Professor McGonagall had come bursting into the room, closely followed by Snape, with Quirrell bringing up the rear. Quirrell took one look at the troll, let out a faint whimper, and sat quietly down on the toilet, clutching his heart. Snape bent over the troll. Professor McGonagall was looking at Ron and Harry. Harry had never seen her look so angry. Her lips were white. Hopes of winning 50 points for Gryffindor faded quickly from Harry's mind. What on earth were you thinking of? said Professor McGonagall with cold fury in her voice. Harry looked at Ron, who was still standing with his wand in the air. You're lucky you weren't killed. Why aren't you in your dormitory? Snape gave Harry a swift, piercing look. Harry looked at the floor. He wished Ron would put his wand down. Then a small voice came out of the shadows. Please, Professor McGonagall, they were looking for me, Miss Granger. Hermione had managed to get to her feet at last. I went looking for the troll because I, I thought I could deal with it on my own, you know, because I've read all about them. Ron dropped his wand. Hermione Granger telling a downright lie to a teacher. <clears throat> if they hadn't found me, I'd be dead. Harry's Stuck his wand up its nose, and Ron gave. Um, Ron knocked it out with its own club. They didn't have time to come fetch anyone. It was about to finish me off when they arrived. Harry and Ron tried to look as though this story wasn't new to them. Well, in that case, said Professor McGonagall, staring at the three of them. 
Miss Granger, you foolish girl. How could you think tackling a mountain troll on your own? Hermione hung her head. Harry was speechless. Hermione was the last person to do anything against the rules. And here she was, pretending she had to get them out of trouble. It was as if Snape had started handing out sweets. Miss Granger, five points will be taken from Gryffindor for this, said Professor McGonagall. I'm very disappointed in you. If you are not hurt at all, you'd better get off to Gryffindor Tower. Students are finishing the feast in their houses. Hermione left. Professor McGonagall turned to Harry and Ron. Well, I'd still say you were lucky, but not many first years could have taken on a full-grown mountain troll. You each win Gryffindor five points. Professor Dumbledore will be informed of this. You may go. They hurried out of the chamber and didn't speak at all until they had climbed two floors up. It was a relief to be away from the smell of the troll, quite apart from anything else. We should have gotten more than ten points, Ron grumbled. Five, you mean, once she's taken off Hermione's. Good of her to get us out of trouble like that, Ron admitted. Mind you, we did save her. She might not have needed saving if we hadn't uh, locked the thing in with her, Harry reminded him. They had reached the portrait of the fat lady. Pigs now, they said, and entered. The common room was packed and noisy. Everyone was eating the food that had been sent up. Hermione, however, stood alone by the door waiting for them. There was a very embarrassed pause. Then, none of them looking at each other, they all said, Thanks, and hurried off to get their plates. But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. Chapter 11, Quidditch. As they entered November, the weather turned very cold. The mountains around the school became icy gray and the lake-like chilled steel. Every morning, the ground was covered in frost. Hagrid could be seen from upstairs windows defrosting broomsticks on the Quidditch field. Bundled up in a long moleskin overcoat, rabbit fur gloves, and enormous beaverskin boots. The Quidditch season had begun. On Saturday, Harry would be playing his first match after weeks of training. Gryffindor versus Slytherin. If Gryffindor won, they would move up into second place in the house championship. Hardly anyone had seen Harry play because Wood had decided that, as their secret weapon, Harry should be kept well secret. But the news that he was playing Seeker had leaked out somewhere, and Harry didn't know which was worse. People telling him he'd be brilliant or people telling him they'd be running out underneath um, him holding a mattress. He was really lucky that Harry now had Hermione as a friend. He didn't know how he'd have gotten through all his homework without her. What with the last-minute Quidditch practice Wood was making them do. She had also lent him Quidditch Through the Ages, which turned out to be a very interesting read. Harry learned that there were 700 ways of committing a Quidditch foul, and that all of them had happened during a World Cup match in 1473. That Seekers were usually the smallest and fastest players, and that most serious Quidditch accidents seemed to happen to them. 
uh, that although people rarely died playing Quidditch, referees had been known to vanish and turn up months later in the Sahara Desert. Hermione had become a bit more relaxed about breaking rules since Harry and Ron had saved her from the mountain troll, and she was much nicer for it. The day before Harry's first Quidditch match, the three of them went out in the freezing courtyard during break, and she conjured up a bright blue fire that could be carried around in a jam jar. They were standing with their backs to it, getting warm when Snape crossed the yard. Harry noticed at once that Snape was limping. Harry, Ron, and Hermione moved closer together to block the fire from view. They were sure it wouldn't be allowed. Unfortunately, something about their guilty face uh, caught Snape's eye. He limped over. He hadn't seen the fire, but he seemed to be looking for a reason to tell them off anyway.